As America pauses to remember 9-11, 20 years ago, a day that changed the course of history all across the globe, the Biden administration continues to celebrate their brave and bold decision to pull out so flawlessly from Afghanistan, ending a forever war. And they did it with a big bang, stopping a terrorist attack at the last moment from striking Kabul airport again and killing an ISIS-K member. Well, as it actually turns out, they didn't strike an ISIS-K member. They struck a humanitarian aid worker and his family. Also, that new world order that you have been waiting to show up, waiting to come, and finally manifest itself across the globe with its totalitarian and authoritarian regime, well, it has some delays. It has some problems along the way, but don't worry, because with enough brute force, we can ensure that everyone will comply one way or another. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 256, September 12th, 2021. And there's some good news, bad news, mix of news still coming out of Afghanistan and also from other areas of the world as the New World Order, as they are calling it. I'm, I'm not even calling it that. Uh Good news or bad news, depending on what side of the coin you're on, is experiencing some hiccups, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the show. And the Weaver and Loom segment today is, it's especially dear to my heart. So make sure you stick around for that. But in Afghanistan, the good news is that flights are beginning to open up again. There was a flight that got out from Kabul to Qatar and flights are beginning to operate again between Kabul in Pakistan, which is great news that the air travel is beginning to loosen up again. Uh, great news, definitely something worth celebrating. But what is <laughs> what is not worth celebrating and what is still uh, just horrific, and we've been covering this since the, the day that it happened on the show about that drone strike that was against supposedly an ISIS-K member on his way to bomb the airport again. And when, when if the news first broke, it was that it was an ISIS-K member and then a couple civilians, including one child. A, a couple days later, we, we came to find out that it was an ISIS-K member. And then as the car exploded, it killed a number of civilians, 10 civilians, including seven children. And Jen, we played a clip with Jen Psaki uh, talking about just this. And I said, okay, this is a pretty valid point that if it really was an ISIS-K member, that bomb would have gone off in a crowd of people and would have ended up killing dozens and dozens of people. And this is the, a sad fact of war that these innocent children, kids as young as two, I have a two-year-old kid. Uh, it's just, just horrific to think that a young child lost its life in this, you know, as I was talking about it a couple of weeks ago, in this tragedy that this, this car bomb exploded and killed these innocent civilian bystanders. Well, the news broke 
this week over the weekend by the New York Times doing some incredible investigative journalism. And I mean that without sarcasm, they they uncovered that the the ISIS-K terrorist that they struck was not an ISIS-K terrorist member, but was a humanitarian aid worker and his family who the, the suspicious containers in his car were water that he was bringing home for his family because they frequently experienced water shortages at his house. Uh, We're going to play a few clips from this investigative series. It is uh, horrific and shocking, horrific and shocking that the intel got it so horrifically wrong that instead of Instead of striking the correct target, they killed a humanitarian aid worker that was hoping to be able to escape Afghanistan to America. Instead, ended up as a casualty, not even a casualty, as as a war crime by American drone strikes. Here's the, the opening clip from the New York Times segment. In one of the final acts of its 20-year war in Afghanistan, the United States fired a missile from a drone at a car in Kabul. It was parked in the courtyard of a home, and the explosion killed 10 people, including 43-year-old Zamarai Ahmadi and seven children, according to his family. They're all victims who are part of my family, my brother, my nephew, and my children. This is brothers talking. It's it's unthinkable. We'll, we'll get on to the other clips. But this would not have happened. This would not have happened if America did not rec- recklessly abandon the nation, rec- recklessly pull out, pull out their military troops, pull out their armed forces, pull out their 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 air support to the Afghan military. The fact that the fact that they didn't know who this person was, in my mind, and I don't have evidence to back this up, but you would think that if they had their assets, their personnel on the ground in the embassy, that they would have had better intel to know who was what, what places this person was actually traveling to, and not just relying on a drone from 35,000 feet or 18,000 feet tracking everything that was happening. They say that the war is over, but the shadow war will go on. So, as I said previously, we even said on this show, well, it was a secondary explosion. They they had identified that this was an ISIS-K member, that this was a, a good strike, that yes, innocent civilians died, but it saved countless more souls and more lives. Well, apparently, uh, that was wrong. The procedures were correctly followed, and it was a righteous strike. What the military apparently didn't know was that Ahmadi was a longtime aid worker who colleagues and family members said spent the hours before he died running office errands and ended his day by pulling up to his house. Soon after, his Toyota was hit with a 20-pound Hellfire missile. What was interpreted as the suspicious moves of a terrorist may have just been an average day in his life. And it's possible that what the military saw Ahmadi loading into his car were water canisters he was bringing home to his family. 
not explosives. Using never-before-seen security camera footage of Ahmadi, interviews with his family, co-workers and witnesses, we will piece together, for the first time, his movements in the hours before he was killed. Truly an incredible report where they track all of his movements of that day, where they pull security footage from the NGO showing him entering the house of the NGO, showing him and his, his colleagues filling up water bottles, uh, one of the, the main points that the the U.S. military, the Pentagon, quoted and cited was that there was this white sedan that pulled into a an unknown complex, and that's where they saw them loading up uh, parcels into the vehicle. Well, it turned out that that compound was an NGO, which again— you would think that if there, if the right infrastructure was in place, if there wasn't this chaos that was happening, which was a direct result of poor leadership, poor decisions in how the U.S. military was going to pull out of Afghanistan, just a, just a complete mishandling of the situation, that they would have known that this or had the time to do the research to, to send an informant to go and search and find out what is this building and be able to say, oh, actually, this is a, a known NGO that operates in the city, not an ISIS-K safe house. At around 3.38 p.m., a colleague moves Ahmadi's car further into the driveway. A senior U.S. official told us that at roughly the same time, the military saw Ahmadi's car pull into an unknown compound 8 to 12 kilometers southwest of the airport. That overlaps with the location of the NGO's office, which we believe is what the military called an unknown compound. Again, uh, just a complete failure of intelligence. He backed into the home's small courtyard. Now, after he leaves at the compound, he fills up some water bottles, puts those water bottles in the back of his trunk. Him and his colleagues then leave. He drives his colleagues to their house, and then he passes through. He passes through, which it's important for a later clip about this. He passes through a section of town where there was an ISIS K compound, where there was a a a a, a safe house for ISIS, and then he goes to his house. And this is where the clip picks up. He backed into the home's small courtyard. Children surrounded the car, according to his brother. His brother is talking, and I'll I'll read the subtitles. says, the kids had this habit that when my older brother came home, they would jump in the car while it was still in the alley. One of them would get behind the wheel, and they'd bring it inside. A U.S. official said the military feared the car would leave again and go into an even more crowded street or to the airport itself. The drone operators, who hadn't been watching Ahmadi's home at all that day, quickly scanned the courtyard and said they saw only one adult male talking to the driver and no children. So they haven't been they haven't been watching the house. They've been watching the car all day. And even though they've been watching the car all day, this report says that the U.S. military had no idea and had no information about water bottles in his car. So here, there, most likely, kids 
on his lap, pulling into the driveway, saying hi to their dad as they come home from work when a, a Hellfire missile falls on their car, killing them all instantly. Now, the, the reports, again, was that this, there was a secondary explosion. And so they, they looked through the, the New York Times, went, visited the site multiple times, investigated, interviewed, took photos, and sent those photos to, to military analysts to ask, was, does this look like there's evidence of a secondary explosion? And in the courtyard, there's trees that were, were not damaged. There, a, a wall that the car was directly next to that was not blown out. There's another car that was not struck, that was not turned over. The evidence points to the fact that there was no secondary drones or secondary explosion, implying that there was nothing in the car. This is just a pure civilian. In the days after the attack, the Pentagon repeatedly claimed that the missile strike set off other explosions and that these likely killed the civilians in the courtyard. Significant secondary explosions from the targeted vehicle indicated the presence of a substantial amount of explosive uh, material. Because there were secondary explosions, there's a reasonable uh, conclusion to be made that there was explosives in that vehicle. Uh, except there wasn't. There were water bottles in the back of the trunk. Water bottles that they even, they found photos of still being in the trunk from the, from the, the, the NGO compound that they mistook for a, an ISIS-K base. There is one final detail visible in the wreckage. Containers, identical to the ones that Ahmadi and his colleague filled with water and loaded into his trunk before heading home. Even though the military said the drone team watched the car for eight hours that day, a senior official also said they weren't aware of any water containers. Now, this is where it gets in incredibly frustrating. Was that, I guess it gets incredibly frustrating that they killed an, a completely innocent family, a family that was an ally of the United States, a family that was trying to get to safety, a family that was a humanitarian aid worker that was feeding people in need, that was helping people in that city who were refugees living in, in tent camps in Kabul. This was the person that was struck. And this is, the, this is how America ends, ends their, their last final action. Uh, in their 20-year war. As I said, the shadow war will continue. The, the drone strikes, the over-the-horizon over the capabilities will still continue. But just the next day after this drone strike, what happened? What took place? If you remember, there were missiles that were begun being shot from somewhere in the city towards the airport. Where were those missiles shot from? But the morning after the U.S. killed Ahmadi, the Islamic State did launch rockets at the airport from a residential area Ahmadi had driven through the previous day. And the vehicle they used was a white Toyota. Nice. So the, <laughs> they were tracking. This, did, they, did they mix up the two white Toyotas and they tracked the wrong one? Is that what happened? 
it's this this whole thing, this everything that has happened with the United States in Afghanistan, ex- especially over the last month, it is just a complete failure, top to bottom. Just story after story that I've heard, just a, a complete wreck. There was uh, one one statement that was saying that because of the chaos that was on the ground, these decisions were not pushed up to higher uh, ranks of command, but those decisions were being made by lower-ranking officials. If there was not that chaos that was happening on the ground, if this was done properly and rightly, this would have, this should have, and would have never have happened. Uh, another news in Afghanistan. As America mourned and remembered 20 years since 9-11, the Taliban in uh, Afghanistan quite poetically grows their flag in Afghanistan, finally announcing and, and confirming, swearing into power the caretaker government, the new Taliban government of Afghanistan, a truly poetic and ironic statement. Uh, it doesn't, you can't. You can't make it, you can't make something better than that. 20 years later to the day, uh, since 9-11, the Taliban established their new government in a, a poetic moment. Uh, we were discussing in the previous episode, if you've not, dis- if, if you've not listened to it yet, uh, does the Taliban need the West? Do they need to really have an inclusive government? They don't have any women in there. Do they need to make provisions for women? Do they need to to play the the play the song of the West to say the right things to get on the right panels, or are they going to be su- sufficiently supplied and allied by Iran and China, Turkey, and Russia? Do they even need the West? Well. It's very much not likely. I don't really think that they do. Uh, it seems that China is moving in quite nicely to to find their new strategic geopolitical position. Uh, it's just a mess. Uh, just a mess. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. This is what is coming out of New South Wales. Uh, Australia, Australia is just a crazy place. I always thought of Australia to be much more conservative in their in their political uh, estrangements. Uh, but I was talking to some friends this weekend, and one of the things that was was shared that even though that their their federal government, their prime minister is conservative, a lot of these draconian lack, lockdowns and, and and crazy rules of contact tracing that we're seeing in New South Wales and in, in on the west, eastern half of Australia, which is quite liberal, it's all being run by the liberal governors who are making these wild, wild decisions. So, you know, you have one case and the entire province gets locked down. 40 cases, entire provinces get locked down. You're having contact tracing. Uh, same with New Zealand, contact tracing where y- your phone is getting buzzed to say, 
you know, you need to send us a picture of your face right now to make sure that you are who you say you are and you're in the location that you're supposed to be if you're supposed to be quarantining. And if you don't do that, they show up at your door. Well, here is a, it's actually a gaffe, but here is a a clip from a New South Wales anchor uh, saying just how long these lockdowns will really last. Daniel Andrews has announced that Victoria's lockdown will be extended until 2070 of the state. Oh, the lockdown will be extended to 2070 in Victoria. Wow, 2070. Uh, that sounds that sounds about right at this at this rate at this stage. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to have rolling lockdowns until 2070. Well, she goes on. Sadly, sadly, she goes on to correct herself. Until 20. Sorry, no, it won't. It will not. Take the lead back to the beginning. Take the lead back to the beginning. Daniel Andrews has announced that Victoria's lockdown will be extended until 70% of the state has had at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. Oh, well, that's a good save. But I wouldn't be surprised if it actually at some point does read uh, lockdowns extended to 2070. It seems like that is where those in Australia are going. If you have one case, uh, the the ideal is COVID zero, which is it is an impossible world to live in. Whereas there's other places in the world like Denmark that have, have removed all of their restrictions. As I said, the new world order is facing some blowback. It's not going quite as smooth in some places as maybe they would have thought, including Denmark, where they're, they're saying, nope, we have no more restrictions, no more lockdowns. We're, you're free as a bird. Uh, also, as we'll get to, uh, the UK is taking some very surprising steps that definitely isn't in alignment with the new world order that they're talking about in the Southern Hemisphere. Here is the health minister of New South Wales talking about this new world order. We will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. Yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Our response may be differently, different if we know that people are fully vaccinated. So we're working through a number of those um, issues, but we will have to reflect and learn. (laughs) The audio was a little, little fuzzy there, but what she said was, we... We have to learn how to do contact tracing in this new world order. And yes, we'll, we'll be learning along the way, but we, we're going to get our, our apps all up and running. We're going to get our contact tracing all up and running. We're going to know exactly who you are, where you are, who you're in contact with, what, what store you went into. Now, that shouldn't be too – it is a shocker. I think it is a, a shocker for many. We, we at least Americans, definitely do not do not like to be tracked. And – it's actually across Europe. They are protesting these draconian lockdowns. They're protesting vaccine passports. It seems like more than in America. That's probably because in America, it hasn't actually happened. But over the weekend, tens of thousands, tens of thousands of people gathered across Europe to protest vaccine passports, to protest the fact that you need an app to Beep into the grocery store that you need an app to go wherever you you want and a normal day life occasions going into the florist. You got to beep in going to the pub with your buds. You got to beep in 
Europe is not having it. So it's not just a it's not just an American ideal. And this is what many people try to pawn it off as. Ah, oh, it's just, you know, those Americans, they're liberty loving. They they want their own autonomy. If you look across Europe, that's where the protests are happening. They're, and they're happening in Australia too. And as I said, it's probably because that is where these mandates are rolling forward with the Green Pass and many other systems that are being put into place across Europe. Well, here's another clip from New South Wales talking, uh, again, about contact tracing and the New World Order. Just the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the New World Order. The Prime Minister will also be towards the front of the queue. I'll be leading by example on that front. We've got to, <laughs> let's play that clip from the beginning again. Just the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. That's just the way it is. We've got to accept that this is the new world order. Contact tracing. Knowing exactly where you are when you are. Now, the reason that we shouldn't be surprised is because our phones, which many of us have connected to us at all times, they already know exactly where we are and when we are and what we're doing and everything that we're buying and everywhere that we've gone. It's there. Now, in most countries, supposedly there is supposed to be a, a barrier of privacy. Europe has really pushed for that privacy, uh, limiting the amount of cookies and limiting what apps can access, what data apps can access on your phone. But at the end of the day, if a government institution or a corporate institution really wanted to know where you were when, it's not hard. Your, your cell phone is pinging the towers every minute. And they know your, your geolocation within a few meters every minute of every day. And they know every person that you could have come into contact with. That data is available and it's frequently used uh, by private investigators and investigators all the time. So we, we've already given up an extraordinary amount of liberty when it comes to the, the information that's out there because of the ease of life that that gives us. Now, I think we, it is possible to live in a world where we're able to use phones, where, where, where we are able to have that ease of communication, that ease of connectedness with, with safeguards in place so that it cannot be used down the line for malicious intents. One, one blatantly clear example of this going bad because so many people say, well, yes, of course, you know, someone else could possibly come and take this data and use it, uh, but we're going to, you know, it's protected, it's encrypted, even though the UN was just hacked, even though so many of these, these systems that have top-of-the-line security have been hacked recently. Remember the, the pandemic of the cyber attacks. Uh, but the, a clear example would be back back to Afghanistan, to bring us back there, the U.S. had biometrics on every person, data profiles on every person to know who each person was for their own security. And now, who is it in the hands of but the Taliban? So now it doesn't matter what your document, but your, what your paper might say. All they have to do is scan your retina and take a, a, your thumbprint, and they can know exactly who you are based on that database. This is the, the perfect example of systems that had good intentions falling into the hands of someone who has evil intentions to be used 
against the very purposes that it was created for. And this is the, the, the dangers, the real dangers, not just made up dangers, but the real dangers that people are resisting when it comes to uh, vaccine passports and when it comes to mandatory vaccines. That's another thing we discussed uh, with some friends over this weekend is, okay, whether, whether the vaccine is effective or ineffective, that's not the question. The question is, should these be governmentally mandated? Should they be forced upon people with no other option? Should you be strapped down and have to have it jabbed into your arm or you are a, a second tier citizen? Many people in the world are saying no. They're resisting that and for good reason. And, and here's a piece of great news. The UK is now resisting and saying, actually, we are not going to move to vaccine passports. Here's the health secretary for the UK on the BBC. We just shouldn't be doing things for the sake of it all because others are doing it. We should look at every possible intervention properly. So you asked about vaccine passports. So I think it's fair to say, I think most people probably instinctively don't like the idea. I mean, I, I've never liked the idea of saying to people, you must show your papers or something to, to do you know, what, what is just an everyday activity. But we were right to, you know, to properly look at it, to look at the evidence. But you're not uh, doing but, it. Well, what I can say is that we've looked at it properly. And whilst we should keep it in reserve as a potential option, I'm pleased to say that we will not be going ahead with plans for vaccine passports. You will. That's, that's amazing news for the UK that they're not going ahead with vaccine passports. No, he did say we're going to keep it in the back, back pocket. And in the last 18 months, if we've learned anything, the, there's a whole lot of flip-flopping that can go on, including in America, where before Biden has stated, there's no way that we're mandating vaccines. We're not going to mandate vaccines. And what happens over the past past weekend? He decides to mandate vaccines for, or the last week, to mandate vaccines for any co private company with more than 100 employees that they are forced to be vaccinated and for any, uh, any employees of the executive branch of the government. He's mandating vaccines, and that does not include Congress and the Senate. There's no mandate there for those who are working in the other branches of government, For but for the executive branch and for private companies with over 100 employees, they are now mandating vaccines. Where They said, we're not gonna have that mandate. Why are they doing that? Well, because they want to enforce, they want to force vaccination numbers to rise. Even though America, I was reading one article that in America, they have about 80% herd immunity in America, according to blood banks. So blood banks have been testing their blood and they're seeing that there's an 80% herd immunity. Now that is uh, a combination, of course, between natural immunity and immunity from, uh, from the vaccines. But the Biden administration is still wanting to push for more and more vaccines. So you, you have to ask yourself, when it, when it comes to this new world order, of course, a lot of people talk about it. Uh, the Matrix is coming out again um, in, in uh, this is a total tangent, but this, The Matrix is coming out with a fourth movie at, at, apt timing at the end of this year, 12, 22, 21. And, and it seems like a lot of that narrative, even in the previews that I've seen for 
The Matrix is really reflecting on what's been happening right now in the world with this new world order that is being pushed upon the world that's that whether it manifests or not, to what degree or not, I don't know. But here's a a, a, a very short clip by Michel Chodovsky. He's we've played some clips of his before. Uh, he he's very much into talking about the you know the new world order and the globalists that are looking to and the bankers who are looking to to control the world for their own uh, maniacal gains. Here's a quick a quick segment uh, of him talking about. If this if this is just an an operation or being used as not letting a good crisis go to waste, if if this crisis is being used, who would be the players who would have caused this uh, COVID uh, COSARS two the novella virus to turn it into an event that they could shut down and shutter the entire global economy when there's only a few hundred cases worldwide. Because it was not COVID that killed the economy. It was not COVID that caused the, the globe to shut down for millions to fall into to poverty and malnutrition and the chaos that we've seen over the last year and a half, going on two years. It was not COVID. But it was the, the global response to that. And here's Michelle. But bear in mind, uh, this is an act on the part of the financial establishment to create absolute chaos at the level of national economies worldwide. Uh, it, it, is, um, it, it led to mass unemployment, uh, bankruptcies, uh, extreme poverty, uh, and it also led to the wiping out of the small and medium-sized enterprises and also certain important sectors of real what we might call real capitalism were also wiped out in, or at least precipitated into bankruptcy. I'm talking about the airlines, I'm talking about the hotel chains and so on. Without dwelling on this on on this important uh, process, I should mention that this action is unprecedented, and it's not had nothing to do with protecting people, uh, you know, against the pandemic. There was no evidence that the pandemic was serious enough to justify these far-sweeping measures. When you close down your economy. At the same time, you close down your public health sector and create havoc in regards to the delivery of health services. This was a deliberate, um, it was a deliberate action of economic warfare, and it was applied worldwide. And it was it was consistent with uh, previous periods of of macroeconomic reform under IMF, World Bank auspices, US foreign policy, regime change, and so on. Every single country, with, well, with some exceptions, accepted to close down their economy with a view to saving lives. And that is the biggest lie in world history. And with that, as countries decided, okay, we're going to go along with this, we're, gonna, we're not going to be 
the, the one caught without a chair, right? Musical chairs is taking place on a global scale. Everyone's shutting down their borders. Every leader, every governor, every politician saying, I don't want my, I don't want to hang for this. I don't want my neck to be on the line for this. I'm going to play it safe. I'm going to do what everyone else is doing because, hey, at least then no one can point the finger and say, you made the wrong decision. You made the wrong decision in, in keeping the borders open or keeping the economy open. You're putting uh, countless lives at risk. And when there's mass fear created by mass media, it is easy for the public to be rallied into such a frenzy of fear that it causes such a visceral response from the public against politicians so that they're forced to go along with these mandates, to, with, this, with this global orchestration, which then led to collapses of, of economies and governments, which then leads to governments having to get bought out by private industry. So now the privatization of public sectors, the privatization of entire governments, where they now owe millions, billions of dollars to those who have bailed them out to help keep their economies afloat, to help give aid to people who, who are now out of jobs. The amount of currency that was printed worldwide in the last 18 months. Astonishing. The place that we are going as a globe, all because there was, there was an agenda to rewrite and, and shift the, the, the new world order, the world order and the way that the world fits and forms. And whether, you know, to what extent of, of conspiracy theory um, you want to or don't want to take it, that is what has happened. That is what, and, and it is what has happened. We can look across the globe and we say we are in a completely different world. The, the way that humans fundamentally think and engage with one another has changed. Now, thankfully, there are some places that have completely resisted this. There are some places that are, are staying completely open. There are back to business as usual. In fact, most of America, it's back to business as usual. And that's a, a great thing. And so I, I do hope that the UK continues to take steps forward like this, that's saying, actually, we're not gonna do a vaccine passport. And I do hope that uh, America turns, turns away from draconian authoritarian rule. Well, this is a value for value, value podcast. Uh, thank you for all of you who support the show on a weekly or even monthly basis. Thousands of people have turned to the show every month to help them understand how to see the world. Because if we can see the world rightly, then we can walk in it rightly. And that enables us to uncover our purpose and to own our futures. So if you would like to be a, a executive producer of the show, you can go to our website, lucasscrobot.com, and you can give your hard, cold fiat there, or you can go to newpodcastapps.com, and you can download a pot certified 2.0 podcast app where you can stream Bitcoin as you listen to the show on players like Breeze, 
or Podfriend or Sphinx. And finally, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destinies. I don't know about you, but I often have moments in my life where where I evaluate how am I spending my time? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Am I fulfilling my days rightly? Am I spending my days rightly? Am Am I giving the correct proportion to the right things? And as I'm, when I get in these places, which is, you know, every Tuesday, <laughs> you know, every week I'm, I'm in this place of, you know, seeking and evaluating my life and wanting to make sure that I'm pouring my life resources into the right areas, that I'm fulfilling my purpose, that I really am uh, owning the future, that I really am making a, an impact on the world around me. Because I'm a millennial, probably like you, who wants to make an impact, who wants to leave an imprint on the world around us. With all of that, there's one question I frequently come across in my mind, which is, if I die and everything that I do falls apart the next day, if I build an empire, if I build you know, whatever it is my dream is, if I build a successful company, and the day after I die, it all falls apart, Was I successful? Was that a successful endeavor? Did I spend my life wisely? This weekend, as I was uh, having some time with some some friends, and we were discussing this, uh, a a friend shared with me. He said, he said this. He said, "Build." I'm I'm actually changing what he said. He said it in more sentences, but I'm, I'm boiling it down to something simple, which is build people, not empires. Build people, not empires. When, and it just struck me in such a profound way that if you build people, if you take your time and your life resources, even if you're building a company, even if you're, you're, you're running operations on a day-to-day basis, even if you're, you're chasing your dreams, whatever those might be, but if you, if you are building people in that, in your everyday interactions and engagements, that at the end of your life, you will have, you will be successful in that every, if everything falls apart in the next moment after you die, you would have invested your life resources into people, into serving others, into caring for others, into building others up rather than building your own empire, rather than building your own name or your fame, rather than building an amazing system, an amazing system that could last for generations and generations. But if we don't invest into the people, then nothing will truly go on. Nothing will truly be passed on. And so as I've reflected on that, I've thought to myself, you know, that's that's what I want. I want to be a person that builds people, even through this show. I hope that you are built up and encouraged from this, that you have a, uh, that I'm able to build you up in, in the small measure this week, whether it's through laughing at something or 
being enraged at this uh, horrific, horrific drone strike that killed a family, or whether it's helping you see the world in a slightly different light so that you would go out this week and build people up rather than just building your own empire. Well, that's all for today's show. Go out this week, share this episode with a friend because that's how you can help build people and that will uncover your purpose and enable you to own your future.